The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Now that I am back in town, I've been desperately trying to catch up on the FIBA World Cup. I'll be honest, I haven't had a chance to watch as much as I would have liked. I've probably only had a chance to watch 10 games or so, so far, most of them in the last few days. Uh, But fortunately, we have at our disposal here an expert 10 hours ahead of time in Finland, bringing him back for the first time in a while uh, because I was uh, negligent and didn't watch Eurobasket 17. I was on a vacation getting married. But now uh, our international basketball expert, Christian Pelletier, has returned. How are you doing, man? I'm good, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this World Cup, I, I think the place to start is just that the USA team is not what it's been. You know, I think that was obvious when we saw the names. There were many, though, who just said, ah, you know, I mean, you just look at these players, you compare the depth that they have. If they're playing games in the NBA, the USA is way better. Uh, still, you know, they should have no problems. But but it really doesn't work that way in international competition, does it? No, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I think everybody had uh, concerns in terms of also the fit of the roster, not only the talent. Uh, but I've been positively surprised, especially the further along that tournament has gone. Even today against Brazil, I thought they had, you know, uh, they struggled a little early, but the further along the game went, I, I never thought, you know, Brazil actually had a legit shot to, to catch up. Yeah, and the thing that's been much different about this USA team, and perhaps a credit to Greg Popovich and his staff, obviously they lost the one exhibition game they should have lost uh, against Turkey, uh, but the defense has really been what has led them, and not the defense in the typical USA way where we're just going to get in the passing lanes and get a bunch of turnovers, especially against the bad teams, but not really stay solid. Uh, you know, I thought really the last two major tournaments, the defense, uh, uh, or two of the last three, I should say, the last two Olympics, the defense was a weak now that's really what has been a strength for them the number one defense uh, in the tournament what have you seen from them uh, on that side of the ball and it's it's that's actually that's actually interesting because uh pre-tournament especially when they lost tucker i felt like they were going to be very weak on the perimeter defensively obviously Derek white you know is an excellent defender and marcus smart can be if he's just locking down one guy but it's not like he's the best team defender he kind of takes risks uh, and, you know, kind of gambles in, in situations, which I thought, you know, especially teams like Australia and Lithuania are really going to take advantage of. But the guys have been surprisingly solid, and it's not like Smart has been, you know, taking the defense to another level at all. I just feel like almost everybody's kind of doing their role. They're uh, switching when they're supposed to. And and I think as an entirety, uh, 
not only you know the statistics say that they're the best defensive team, but in, in terms of the eye test, I would actually agree agree with that, uh, even compared to you know the other good teams in the tournament. Yeah, I thought against Greece uh, they had a pretty good plan, although they certainly they've been helped by poor opponent three point shooting. Opponent shooting only 30 percent for downtown Greece was seven out of twenty seven, and you know people say that Greece doesn't have shooters. They some decent guys like Lucas and Barusas who just couldn't hit shots in that game. But uh, we'll talk more about Greece uh, in a second. It's been surprising to me too uh, that it's really been going without a center. You thought maybe you know Brook Lopez they would play a conservative style, wall up at the rim, sort of the way the Bucks do. Lopez has shot poorly; he's five out of eighteen in the tournament. Uh, Plumlee has is one out of six, and they really have gone away from playing any backup center at all. And that small unit with Harrison Barnes, who may arguably has been their second most important player in the tournament, has been what's enabled them to break away in a number of these games. Absolutely, and I think. Think when uh, Serbia is, is kind of looking at how Team USA is playing, uh, they probably see some advantages they can take take advantage of because the U.S. has has gone small so much. But at the same time, I feel like the U.S. is a big advantage there because a lot of the teams in the tournament can't do that. Uh, Greece should have done that, but for some re- reason didn't. But uh, as a small ball unit, uh, the way the entire team is playing is is uh, it's been fun to watch, and and the fact that they have so much length. Uh, at the three or four positions, even though like they're also lacking kind of a traditional four in any sense of the word. And Tucker was probably the only player who's played, you know, significant minutes there uh, consistently in the past years. But once they lost him, it felt like they didn't have a traditional four there, but it hasn't been an issue at all. Yeah, you know, I, I thought some of the roster selections were very curious. I, I was monitoring that from afar. I thought Tucker should have been on there. I mean, he, you know, had one of these kind of fake injuries where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. we're going to have you withdraw. You know, but I thought, I mean, especially as much as they've been playing small, I, I thought that they really could have used him. And maybe, you know, if they go up against Serbia, we will see that they miss him uh, to guard Jokic. Um and then De'Aaron Fox is someone else too, where this team really offensively, if we want to talk about that side of the ball, you know, they, they have not been pushing the pace. They are 11th in the tournament in pace. Uh, which and part of that's because they've been forcing other teams to run the shot clock down that's a little misleading but we haven't seen them get out on the fast break they really only have one guy on this team walker who is capable of pushing the ball and he's even he's kind of more comfortable just working in the half court uh, so uh, they don't have those great grab and go guys like your kd or lebron type of guys that they've had in past years so uh they've had to kind of grind it out in the half court and that to me has not looked as good no, uh, but at, at the same time, I think they've gotten around, you know, six to 10 points a game from like semi transition opportunities where they do yeah. have guys like Jalen Brown and Harrison Barnes who can kind of, you know, uh, fill the middle lane and be once they get the ball kind of in that secondary break, uh, they can make, you know, really good decisions and they're athletic enough to, you know, finish over uh, at least European competition, especially against, you know, some of the second units that the guys are, are throwing out. Uh, and at the same time, offensively, uh, there was this. Uh, clip that when they played against the U.S. select team that, you know, leaked online probably purposefully, uh, where it really felt like the entire team uh, didn't move the ball. It, it, it Everybody was kind of a ball stopper anytime, you know, they touched it. That hasn't been the case at all. And even when the uh, camp started with with uh, this unit and kind of what Popovich was saying that his number one goal is to you know put 0.5 second uh, kind of thought process in and that's actually been a significant improvement I think throughout this tournament and especially uh, throughout you know uh, those ex- 
exhibition games are, are after those. The zone offense as well. Turkey got yes. back into the game, uh, really forming some teams have tried to go zone against them in these last few games. I've been impressed with the improvement in their zone offense. I, I've really liked their efforts to get guys like uh, Barnes or, or Jalen Braun, uh, even Donovan Mitchell, right to the center of the zone. And, and I've always liked that as a strategy where, you know, a lot of times teams will just put your big stiff center at the free throw line and you throw yep. it to him there and all he's going to do is just shoot a jumper. Whereas someone who can actually take a couple of dribbles, attack the rim, make a play, find that cutter along the baseline, uh, make a little bit better of a decision. So I, they've really been carving up these zone defenses uh, over the last two games, Greece and then Brazil uh, in the uh, second round. Yeah, I completely agree. I think they're uh, probably the most uh, zone offense ready team in at least from the teams they face. Uh, I don't want to say throughout the competition because I feel like, you know, Australia especially is somebody who has a system in place. They know what to do and they've been running it for years and improving it. So I'm sure, you know, if anybody wants to play zone against them, they'd be pretty prepared for it. And probably the same thing would have been with Lithuania. But but uh, I'm surprised too. Usually uh, the U.S. is not uh, on par in terms of execution with the other uh, other good teams who, you know, uh, play some, some want to say, you know, above their level but but can take it up at least another notch because their system is in place but uh gotta credit the u.s team in, in the past years when they haven't had good teams we gotta go back to like 2004 2002 uh the system itself was also awful so now that the players aren't yeah. maybe as good uh they still they've been able to you know really instill some sort of a system and and some sort of collective uh collective confidence in that system and it's been actually pretty enjoyable to watch for the most part yeah my favorite u.s team was the 2010 team which uh you know again did it a little bit more with defense that that team this team has been compared to that team that team had a ton more talent than this team does in terms of pick and roll ball handers they had kevin durant at the time who was if you want to talk about that as a coming out party but he was already the leading scorer in the nba Mm -hmm. at that time so yeah this is not really comparable to me but you know this team still i think has some weaknesses they've been leading the uh tournament in number of three-point attempts haven't been making that many about 33 percent i think actually chris middleton to me is a key player for them if he can hit some shots that give him a little bit more iso offense he has not had it working uh at all you know re- really the three-point shooting has been more the on-ball guys and then joe harris you know they middleton has not played anywhere close to his nba level uh in this tournament and you see that from a lot of guys frankly uh u.s players who, who get into these tournaments uh he, he to me is a, is a big guy and then you know the other question is if they go against serbia or spain or maybe maybe in france with gobert i think gobert they can do it will this small unit continue to hold up for them uh, what do you what do you think can they get away with that against serbia assuming they can get by france you know who we'll talk about again in a second here so I think that is is the big question. But when you look at how Spain was able to beat Serbia, at least, you know, from a tactical point of view, Serbia really started struggling when Spain went smaller. They still had one big guy on the floor. But when they started with uh, both Oriola and Gasol, uh, that played immediately into Serbia's hands because Serbia was a little bigger and uh, Spain wasn't able to, you know, really uh, get that defense moving. But once Spain went small, Serbia was really, really struggling uh, at playing, you know, uh, the, the traditional two big man lineup. And even when they went to one big guy, none of their uh, 
players are really good defensively. They try to play Milutinov kind of as a defensive center who can maybe be a little bit more mobile. But uh, Coach Jordovich has absolutely no faith in Bo- Boban. He's not playing him at all. And uh, Radulica is, is just really slow defensively. And I don't think he can be he can stay on the floor against the quicker U.S. players. But it's one of those situations where I think like the variance is very large, where uh, Serbia can have a lot of success in in an, in like a small sample size against the U.S. small small ball lineup. But at the same time, I think the further along uh, or the bigger the sample size gets, I feel like the U.S. has an advantage there. Yeah, well, and Serbia has mostly been playing Jokic at the four, right? Yeah, absolutely. But until they kind of get into the mode, all right, let's uh, we have to win this game now, and then they've gone to Jokic just the five. Obviously, he got tossed out against against Spain. But yeah, mostly it's been Jokic just the four. Uh, they started. They're still playing a lot of minutes with Belutinov, which I I do not understand. Then Radulic and, and Boban sometimes with Jokic. Uh, but it does feel like. Uh, once they have to be at their best against the better teams, Jogic will be the center and they'll have, you know, four perimeter guys at that time. Yeah, and, you know, they've got Bielitsa, but really no one else uh, as a, a pure wing. You know, maybe they can try and go with Bogdanovich at the three and play a couple of their guards, though Misic won't be available against Argentina due to a death in the family. Uh, that's who they're playing, right, Argentina? Yeah, that's true. But yeah. there were some new reports today that he's actually going to stay in china so i think that changed like within the past three four hours and i don't know if anybody actually knows what the situation is right now what he's going to do but uh it's possible he he will play against argentina and they do have they do have like vladimir lucic for example he can play as the three and kind of extend uh extend the uh, opposition defense too uh but yeah i think bielitsa is the logical player uh, to play as the four when they go to a small ball lineup, kind of a more modern lineup. All right, we got lots more to talk about here in this tournament. Preview the medal rounds, uh, give uh, some of our more disappointing uh, and surprising teams uh, MVP of the tournament so far uh, right after this. Well, I'm finally home after seven weeks and over 12,000 miles on the road. And I know you all were eagerly awaiting my return so I could talk about how great it is to be back in my Helix Sleep mattress. Stayed in some nice hotels, stayed in some not-so-nice hotels, stayed on some hide-a-beds, stayed on some twin beds. My Helix Sleep mattress is better than all of those because it was made just for me. I took their two-minute sleep quiz. After a few years ago, I tried another mattress delivery company that was one-size-fits-all. It didn't work. We had to return it. My wife found Helix Sleep. We took the quiz, and the mattress has fit us perfectly ever since then. We since have gotten two more one for my in-laws place and i can now say that i was well ahead of the curve because helix sleep has been awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019 by gq and wired magazine i can say i knew them when but don't worry you still have plenty of time to get your own helix sleep mattress at helixsleep.com slash cap space they have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free they'll pick it up for you and return it if you don't love it but that's not going to happen because it's made specially for you they can even split the mattress down the middle providing individual support needs for you and your partner and at that helixsleep.com slash cat space url they're offering up to 125 dollars off of all their mattress orders helixsleep.com slash cat space don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us all right so we're back here let's hit on some of the teams that did not make it this far and i think obviously greece with clearly the best nba player in Giannis Antetokounmpo 
would be number one the Giannis fouled out on a dubious call with about five minutes left they had to beat Czech Republic by 12 today they only did it by seven uh and so they are are going to be going home won't be making the, the medal round but frankly you know I don't think played well enough that you uh, would say it's at all unfair to them and Giannis you know individually did not play that well um you know Greece obviously struggled to hit some shots I thought their defense was pretty stout uh at least in the USA game I didn't get a chance to watch some of their earlier games but why is it that this team and this has been the case in prior tournaments too but the Giannis wasn't as good why is it that they can't maximize Giannis Antetokounmpo who frankly is playing worse then you play in the NBA and you'd say the NBA, you know, is maybe better competition than a lot of the teams that are facing in this tournament. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to go uh, and kind of, you know, give the argument that uh, the reason is that there's no defensive three second. The, the three point line is closer, meaning that you can kind of clog the three point area a little better. Uh, but honestly, I don't think those are quite enough of a reason why uh, Giannis wasn't wasn't better. Uh, there were two, or I, I want to say three major issues. One, uh, for some un- inexplainable reason, they played a lot of minutes with him uh, with the center. I know Barusis can can shoot it from the outside, but he's a set shooter. He can't move and make the defense move. Uh, it's very easy to close out to him because he can't put the ball on the floor at all. Uh, that's reason one. Second reason is that Nick Calathes just can't play off the ball at all. Uh, he's a decent yeah. three-point shooter, but he needs the ball. He's not good at uh, good at staying off the ball, and there's zero reason why you need to uh, extensively at least overlap those minutes. They should definitely have had Slokas to start with, and when Giannis is off the floor, that's when you you know give Calathes free reign to run pick and roll and. and uh, and kind of get yeah, him. They, they get, did try that at the start of the second half uh, finally, against USA. Finally. Yeah, but it, it, it took them a while. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then thirdly, just the sets that they run. Uh, it seems like, uh, obviously, these coaches that that coach in these tournaments, they're excellent coaches. Then They know what they're doing. They have very limited time to do uh, anything, add, add a lot of wrinkles to a playbook. It's, it's very tough to uh, coach for a tournament like this if your federation and your entire uh, you know national team doesn't have like a system that it builds on consistently. Uh, and I think the system that Greece has had for years hasn't been ready for Giannis at all and hasn't, hasn't been ready to overhaul that entire system because now they have, you know, a top seven player or at least at least probably a top three player in the world right now. Uh, but they're playing like horns actions with Giannis as the four, which, you know, is pretty easy to guard. You can just kind of sag off Giannis, make him shoot, and, and you're not really making the four big for him. They don't space out close to the baseline or close to the sideline. It's very even throughout the perimeter where it's kind of easy to wall him off. And defenses are, are putting pretty big guys on Giannis and just forcing him to shoot and, and uh, being happy with that result, uh, which is fine. But if that happens, then the, the other four guys on the floor have to do something uh, to make the defense move and kind of create either gaps for Giannis or passing angles for him to uh, find his teammates. But that hasn't been the case. He's been it. He hasn't been given the floor space to make, give those bullet passes in the corner because those players who are one pass away are able to wall him off, and it's still pretty easy to close out because the spacing is so bad, or yeah. at least throughout the system. It's it's just been ridiculous to watch, and kind of uh, especially I I can understand for like U.S. viewers who watch the NBA and are excited to see Giannis uh, just destroy the competition, and then he's forced to play with, in a system where that's just not him, doesn't suit him at all. 
Yeah, I, I I agree with a lot of what you said. I think clearly, you know, he's not as much of a priority as he is for his NBA team. I mean, again, against lesser competition with fewer threats around him, lower usage rate in this tournament than in the NBA. Now, you maybe you could say, well, you know, the Bucks uh, space the floor. They've had to fight to make a, a unique system around him. And he is a, somewhat of a, a unique player with his ball handling, his athleticism, but his inability to shoot, his inability to play off the ball. I thought also, you know, in some of these games, uh, he's really you know has missed a lot of passes to shooters the usa game in particular anytime he went for a spin move or put his back to goal he was getting it tipped away he was missing guys so you know i think he personally could have done a better job could have done a better job staying out of foul trouble but this is an interesting theme here and you know certainly i could be accused of a little ethnocentrism here Mm -hmm. with what i'm about to say but it seemed to me that the coaches who kind of play more of an nba style of system in which by which i mean they don't do stuff like we're gonna bring nikola Jokic off the bench or uh you know they actually start their their best players and they funnel everything to their best players and they try to have real roles and supporting guys whereas european basketball isn't really like that right you don't have these kind of big stars in european basketball the players are a lot more equal and sharing the ball sharing the minutes you know guys aren't playing many more than 25 minutes a game uh, in the euro league you know that's kind of the style there but it seems to me that the teams that have largely had more success in this tournament feel free to disagree with me on this are the ones that have gone with a little bit more nba of a style like knowing who their stars are setting those guys up trying to space the floor around them and actually you know playing those guys minutes and and you know for lack of a better way of saying it not screwing around um, I think especially uh, kind of the overachievers in this this sense, especially the Czech Republic, have been very yes, much playing. Yes, playing, that's a great example. Yeah, what I'm talking playing about. like that, but uh, and probably France as well. At the same time, I would say that Spain and Australia are maybe still kind of going that more traditional Euro sense, where Australia. Oh, even, see, I, I would have thought Australia was more an example of what I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, so but let me let me get to mean. let me get to that because Australia, yeah. obviously, you know, the system allows Mills to be great, but it's not like his usage rate is is that big. They play a lot of ball screen motion. Um, they utilize a lot of movement. They they have their big guys who are excellent passers, play in horn situations and and kind of like. Uh, two-man situations on one side and and their roster happens to uh also work in in that frame very very well uh but i don't think it's as deliberate as it is with for example the czech republic or the u.s uh, in terms of finding their best shooters or best players uh the best spots i just feel like patty mills is just exceptional within that system uh but i think you know uh, you can probably go either way because i understand if you're looking at patty mills who you know is one of the best players has been thus far in this tournament it's easy to kind of draw that same conclusion and and there's a there's an argument there i don't want to say you're wrong but i also think that australia is kind of an exception here because they are probably the best executing team in the world currently in terms of national team so um i think they're harder to make that comparison from for because the other teams they bring so little because they have so little prep time uh but other than that i would i would agree with you especially in terms of the overachievers and uh, compared to like the teams that have failed due to you know reason x y and z but but those teams that have failed have usually 
failed largely because of the reason you just said. Well, I, I think the reason I had Australia in that category is that I agree with you. They play beautiful system basketball. Mm-hmm. But if you look at who's taking most of the shots, they're, they're running everything through Mills and Ingles. And maybe, you know, Delhi is playing more of a traditional point guard role, but he's got the ball in his hands a lot. You know, they're not like, all right, we got to get Mitch Creek some touches here. You know, they're that's true. They're, everything that they're running is, you know, stuff for Patty Mills, whether it's on or off the ball. I mean, and I agree with you. He's been just, I mean, he's looked like Steph Curry in this tournament. <laughs> yep. You know, I mean, just with like his on and off ball movement, hitting hitting threes off the dribble, getting to the basket even. I think he was like seven out of 10 in that, that ridiculous game against France that we'll talk about in a second. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think they they to me that's kind of an example of what i'm talking about in the sense that you know everything is being run for those guys and everyone else is fitting in uh, around them as opposed to you know again the european system where uh, you know you're kind of all right everyone it seems like it, in the european system they want everybody to have you know a 21 percent usage rate and the center will have a 17 percent usage rate yeah, you know, exactly. it's, it's uh exactly. so um and, and you know that works for european basketball because the talent distribution again you don't have these stars and that's you know i think that's something that uh people kind of forget of where you say oh usa you know they they've got still so many good players uh from the nba and they should cruise comfortably well you know having the top 10 players in the world like the distribution of talent is skewed like when the u.s has their best players they're pretty much unbeatable but if you don't have you know multiple top 10 players or at least one to build around then all of a sudden you know it, it looks ugly even you know the 2016 olympic team probably should have lost a couple of games because they you know really only had one of the you know six or seven best guys so it's uh you know that that's maybe the biggest reason i'm worried is if Jokic can get going you know he's the best player left in the tournament he's much better than anyone uh, that usa has so um that was that was kind of rambling there uh hmm let's talk talk a little bit more about at least on my my standpoint i would never accuse you of that but uh <laughs> so uh who else has been a, kind of a disappointment for for you of the teams uh that are out now um obviously canada didn't get even close to their best team out there but they were just lethargic in every single one of their games i i was not fun to watch those guys uh turkey obviously compared to how good they were against the u.s then to you know get completely blown out by by the czech republic uh was a big surprise and in terms of results uh, i guess you got to put lithuania in that category but i do feel like lithuania got royally screwed in this tournament yeah so why do you say that i mean can you explain why it is that lithuania is out brazil who had some pretty good moments is out greece is out and then you've got poland argentina who's played absolutely nobody and czech republic you know three teams that you know czech republic in particular to me uh, has had some nice wins you know and they did beat greece so they're a little bit more legitimate in my mind but how are those teams in there and the teams you mentioned are not well uh luck of the draw in 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 the bigger sense probably and i I don't want to say you know the the pools that they were drawn out of were were that faulty i don't think that was it that was maybe the the uh, deciding issue here but i do feel like a deciding issue is that the best teams in the world aren't in this tournament because the entire um qualifying process is a joke you don't have nba guys you don't have euroleague guys playing unless uh you know they're playing uh, for example a lithuanian player would be playing for Zalkiris or a russian player would be playing for cska uh then they would, you know, be allowed to play and, and kind of skip those EuroLeague games sometimes. And it, it's just a joke because these, obviously, EuroLeague, you know, there's a lot of money at stake that those teams don't want to give their best guys up uh, to miss games during these qualifying wins. 
windows. And these qualifying windows that last season were in October, November, and mid mid February, it's it's resulted in the fact that Slovenia is not in the tournament. Who's the defending European champion? Uh, Croatia isn't in the, isn't in the tournament. Uh, and I got to be a little bit of a homer here, but I would love to see you know. Uh, uh, Markkanen and Koponen playing with uh, Team Finland in this tournament, and uh, I do feel like if they had their best team available, they would have uh, been, you know, Russia and and uh, uh, the Czech Republic in the qualifier. So uh, it is a shame, and that's probably where uh, the biggest issue lies: is that uh, uh, level of the competition where especially in the earlier rounds, there were uh, a lot of games where there was, you know, a 40, 50 point difference between two teams. And there are too many teams, in my opinion, from Asia, uh, or the, I think they should combine that with the Oceania area anyway, and maybe take one or two teams out. There's probably one too many teams from Africa. And I understand the thought process that they want to uh, build the build the sport and have it grow, but it, it doesn't create for us scintillating of a tournament as it would if you added you know two three european teams to the mix yeah i agree with you there i mean and soccer's world cup has dealt with this for a long time as well although certainly some of the uh african and asian teams in the world cup are are a little bit better maybe than in basketball at at this point in time but yeah i mean when you throw in the bad qualifying and for some of our american listeners who don't really understand this can you kind of explain what's going on with this war between fiba and the EuroLeague and, and frankly FIBA and the NBA too you know at this point like they're they're scheduling their qualifies d- during the NBA season as well NBA teams as well are not going to let their teams uh let their players leave like why is FIBA doing this they just want to be the World Cup basically in soccer that's a, and they think that everyone else is going to conform to them that's what it looks like he- from here uh that's what it looks like from here as well so the qualifying windows <laughs> are, are mid-season like you said and, and I think FIBA feels that they should be the government government body for everybody and the Euroleague has uh, set up something very very solid that works even though they you know tweak their tournament uh, and their season uh, every once in a while and and I feel like the new new uh, Euroleague season is not as good as it was when they had you know two uh, group rounds uh, previously but you know they're doing it their way and the best players in Europe do want to play in the tournament and and the money is good and and, uh, the the way they share the wealth in the in the Euro League has gone better and better uh, in terms of you know finances, but uh, FIBA just feels like they need to be in charge of, of this entire uh, situation and and what kind of uh, or at, I don't I don't know FIBA's exact reasoning because you know the statements that they give they're always very very uh, vague and. And I don't know what the uh, thought process is. I feel like they want to kill the EuroLeague, and I feel like they think they're able to do that. But the fact of the matter is that FIBA needs to understand that uh, compared to the NBA, they don't matter at all. Like FIBA is great in terms of you know having a uh, a governing body for the sport and and having World Cups and being in charge of the Olympics. That's fantastic. But the NBA is by like far and above. Uh, hundreds of times, thousands of times bigger than the entirety of basketball in terms of finances all around the world. So uh, the fact that they don't take the NBA more into the into consideration is just idiotic in, in my, my view. But I don't know what the thought process is. I don't, th- I don't think they try to be in war with the NBA, but I feel like they want to be as important as the NBA, which makes zero sense because that's never going to happen. 
the other thing too that really complicates things for FIBA is that for a lot of players the American players and I think you know it used to be the case that the World Cup was bigger than the Olympics uh but it seems like that's going the other way now that and maybe just led by American players that you know the Olympics seems to be getting more of the priority now and that's not really FIBA's signature tournament you know and so they the World Cup to not even have the World Cup be the number one international tournament like that's another problem uh, as well I mean clearly and then you know to schedule it here in September uh you know 10 days before the start of NBA training camp basically is is when you're done you know it's not surprising that they couldn't get the best American players to come even with it being in China I thought that might actually be a lure it, it obviously uh, has not been so uh and then to have it change it around so they don't want it to line up with the soccer world cup but now you're going to have world cup and olympics in back-to-back years and now a lot of guys don't want to do those in back-to-back years i mean they really have managed to make the world cup even more irrelevant than it used to be they're going in in totally the wrong direction here i mean this feels like much less of an event than it did five years ago in spain i completely agree and it's not only american players who are uh, saying no it's also spanish guys even uh nikola mirovic who you know left the nba for uh for the spanish league he even said no because it's too close to the season he, he didn't want to go so it's not only you know american guys it's it's other nba players and, and in this case one non-nba player who would have easily been been on the spanish roster in in mirovic but uh yeah I, I, all the reasons you just said are are completely correct and and make for you know they don't make a lot of sense it's not like this tournament is four weeks like the fifa world cup is they could have easily uh had it the same year but started immediately after the world cup or before yeah well uh all right now that we've trashed this tournament let's talk more about it uh, <laughs> uh right right after we take a quick break here so the football season upon us here basketball season just around the corner you know a lot of our listeners like looking at the spreads like making bets if that's something that you love check out my bookie it's fast it's easy and they pay when you win that's how betting is supposed to work right because where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on if you're going to bet this football season do the smart thing bet with my bookie you can even bet on games after kickoff if by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose you can always just take the other side if you're the kind of person that likes to bet a little and win a lot try parlay if all your picks come through you'll multiply your winnings and no matter how you bet the nfl season is the best time of year i don't know if i can i can personally agree with that i, I happen to like the nba myself but for betters uh, maybe they like the nfl but the good thing about my bookie is it works great for the nba as well Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Oof. Use the promo code CAPSPACE to activate that offer. Don't forget that promo code CAPSPACE. Easy to remember, we talk about it all the time here on the program. That's MyBookie.ag today to get double your first deposit with that cap space code you play you win and you get paid with that cap space code it lets them know that you came from us so who has been the most impressive player in the tournament to you so far when i say most impressive uh, meaning compared to pre-tournament expectations we talk about mvp as well in a second but uh who has really just been like wowed you uh, in terms of what they've been able to do um well, this is probably your answer anyway, but obviously, you know, you can't start this conversation without uh, talking about Thomas Sadaransky and how he's been able to lead the Czech team. And like you said, in a very kind of NBA fashion where it's space the floor, have him use a ton of pick and roll and uh, uh, make the decision from there. But also his teammates 
uh, you know, down the line have been very, very good uh, throughout. And it's been uh, it's been not only, you know, Sadoransky, it's been the system that's built, been built around him. And, and you can kind of, you know, uh, go through the entire roster if you want to. But I think Sadoransky has the way he's been able to carry this entire unit and make his teammates that much better. Uh, Ruban is a is a player who who you know I really like watching. He he doesn't look like a guy who's in modern basketball shape. It's like a guy who's <laughs> brought from the '80s and hasn't hit the weight room ever. But he's he's been incredible. He's you know 11 points a game. Uh, Boha Chick, uh, Chick has been has been excellent. 17 points a game and and uh, right, they, you got If you can't give these guys full names for our uh, American uh, viewers and perhaps hosts. Uh, who are who are not as uh Wojtek Ruban is Ruban's guys. first name and uh, Yarmir yeah. Bohacic is is the yeah. other guy. They've been the second and third best scorer. So obviously, you know, the fact that Sadoransky can get can get this much out of these guys uh, is incredible. Obviously, you know, these two guys I mentioned mentioned have been great, but it's been mostly because of Sadoransky's excellence and the fact that or and the way he carries uh, carries this team. Uh, but kind of the guy who uh, yeah, I don't well, want, quickly on Sadoransky. Yeah, go ahead. The go way, ahead. The way he's pushed the pace, yep. I thought, has been so important to what they're doing. You know, because again, you know, they, they're kind of a you know one note in the half court. And I thought uh, Balvin has done more than I expected. You know, last time I saw him a couple of years ago, he was really just a, a big stiff. He's been able to provide uh, some size defensively and just a, a, enough pick and roll play. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because Jan Vesely isn't playing either. I mean, it was that combination that's been so effective for them in the past. And without him, you thought really, you know, how are they going to score? Vesely is one of the better pick and roll finishing centers uh, in Europe uh, and, and also provides a lot defensively. So, uh, yeah, just really for, for them to get to this position and, you know, to have had some blowout wins with the point differential is what got him here uh, has been so impressive but you're going to move on to somebody else yeah and uh, i mean somebody who in my opinion has always struggled in international competition evan fournier uh finally uh seems like you know he's playing well for a team that's playing well also in the international stage that he's been a guy who finally is playing up to the level but i don't think he's probably a guy who you know you're gonna go wow uh, you know uh, well, like well, with Saturday. i do think it's i, I do think it's it's important because number mm-hmm. one he leads the tournament in usage 39 percent usage for fournier and he's done it with you know pretty average uh, efficiency uh, a little better efficiency in fiba than in in Mm. uh uh nba but uh that's been been really good i think also again france finally being willing to turn it over to him a a little bit you know batum has taken a backseat as he has for his nba team it's really been he and decolo decolo is over 30 percent usage as well so i think like france has gone a little bit more towards that kind of nba model they've spaced the floor a little bit better than they have in the past when they were having uh dia and florent petras were their fours so i think they've they've done a little more offensively it's still you know they still have a few Vincent Collet, uh, you know, foibles every once in a while that, yep. that you'll see. But, you know, I, I have liked their style a little bit more. Um, you know, I think actually, if you want to get to a disappointing player, uh, you know, Gobert to me has not had a huge impact. You know, I thought he was solid against Lithuania you know, in those battles with Fallon Shunis and Sabonis, but I thought he really had, you know, one of the worst games I've ever seen him play in that Australia game that stuck him in the U.S. bracket and, you know, is probably going to end their run in the quarterfinals now. Yeah, absolutely. He struggles against teams that move, move that much. And I think even Lithuania would have won that game had they, uh, even though, you know, we'll talk about, uh, 
bigger reasons why, but if Lithuania <laughs> hadn't hadn't played with two bigs for such a long stretch, I think Gobert would have struggled in that game too. He, I think he's a much better NBA player than he is an international player. Uh, he struggles with, with the teams that create a lot of movement. Uh, and like Australia with that ball screen motion, he just doesn't know how to, how to adapt to that and be that defensive anchor that he is. Uh, in the NBA, um, and the la- or I had two more guys. One guy who you know statistically has been awesome again. Who you know you feel like at some point has to get worse as an interna- international player. But Luis Gola again, one of the most unstoppable <laughs> guys in, in the tournament. I don't understand. He's his passport says he's like forty, but I think he's about sixty by now. Has to be, and just incredible numbers again. What is he? Seventeen points a game at least. Then been great. Yeah, yeah, and, and quite quite efficient for him also, and you know for Argentina. I mean, they they have a, as we said, they haven't played anybody, but they're five and zero, and they have a, one of the best point differentials uh, in the tournament so far. So Spain with Pau Gasol not playing and uh, maybe aging out finally of being one of the best FIBA players. You mentioned Miritich isn't there. Marc Gasol is, is a little bit more on the downside. They've had to run a lot through Ricky Rubio who's quietly had a very nice tournament. Uh, he's got over 30% usage, which uh, you wouldn't have expected. But you know they had that big upset win over Serbia. They're looking about uh, as good a bet as anyone. And they're going to match up against Australia probably in the finals or in the semifinals but uh, how have they been able to keep it going here when you know they looked like they might be falling into the second tier uh, excellent question and the fact that they've been playing a starting lineup which in my opinion it hasn't been smart at all with playing exactly ricky, Ru- ricky rubio with two traditional bakes last ge- last game it was uh oriola and gasol and uh and they've also, you know, ran uh, some lineups with Rubio and, and Willie Hernan Gomez uh, at the same time. I uh, don't understand the thought process there. They've struggled to uh, at the start of games against Italy and against Serbia. Uh, but Ricky Rubio, especially in the second halves of games and also against Serbia in the second quarter, he did much, much better, especially because he could bring uh, he could bring some be- defensive intensity. And, and, you know, those arms that he has are are. Uh, very valuable, I think, in, in FIBA competition. But as a starter, I still don't. Uh, I, I, I've I've also seen very bad moments from him. I feel like you know he's been a player who's had uh, some excellent uh, stints and also some very bad ones. Uh, but Spain in general, uh, I think it's very important what you said because we're expecting them to kind of take that uh, step back from you know after their this golden generation is aging uh but they just keep finding single guys who you know uh play the way they're supposed to and and they still have have those veterans with you know maybe a little more confidence than talent at this point and it's paying off and when they go to that small ball ball unit where they uh add movement and uh kind of push the pace a little more i feel like they're a very very hard team to beat and i can't say enough about how well victor claver is playing again he's by far the best offensive rebounding player in the in the tournament and he can play and that especially is evident when he plays as the, as the four uh, as the three excuse me but also he he's very solid at playing at the four and he's been able to get a lot of loose balls a lot of you know deflection steals uh that have become huge especially against Serbia I think he was the deciding factor in that game um and um, uh, then it's just, you know, up to the other guys to hit shots, which, you know, Yulin and uh, uh, Rudy Fernandez and Pau Ribas are, are 
more than capable of doing. And and also, like you talked about Rubio, his usage rate is high. He started the two previous games badly, but he's finished them very, very well uh, in both instances. But he's better uh, when they only have one big on the floor, floor and Clavier is playing as the four. Yeah, and especially if that big is Gasol, he can give him a little more space. And Rubio's finishing issues at the feeble level aren't going to be as much of a problem. And Spain's defense has been awesome as well. Gasol, a a huge part of that uh, third-ranked defense in the tournament. And you mentioned the pace. I mean, largely they have played at a very slow pace, but again, part of that has been uh, the defense. And Um, it's not only Gasol. It's also Power Rebus and Sergio Yule there. Really, really good defensively. and they can kind of hide Rudy sometimes. And Juancho Hernan Gomez, who's obviously not as good of a defender in the NBA level, but he's big enough that he can kind of battle against these four or fives um, in, in a switching concept that, that they sometimes also run. So he's been able to hang in there. But they've been running a lot of, uh, or especially against Serbia, they ran a lot, of, lot with the lineup of having kind of three point guards on the floor, Yul, Ribas, and Rubio, which against NBA teams would be way too small, but they're good enough defensively. Uh, in this tournament, that that they're actually excellent with that lineup on the floor. Who's your tournament MVP so far? Who, uh, we can go through some of the candidates, uh, I guess here. Uh, but who who comes to mind for you? So until about eight hours ago, I probably would have made a different choice in terms of I would have picked Sadoransky probably at this point in terms of how well uh, his team has played and how far he's gone them. But it's got to be Patty Mills at this point. Yeah, and just the, the way he's played on and off the ball. Oh. Uh, you know, I thought he, he he's even guarding some of the best players. He had the Decolo assignment in that France game, uh, which uh, you know was obviously a huge game. I, mean, I think both coaches really taking it as far as as they could in terms of minutes because they knew that it was it would be usa serbia and then a really good team in the final if they lost and if they won you, you got an easy matchup in the quarterfinals and then spain probably in the semis and you're you're probably got a favored for the silver medal uh at least to, to uh win that game and, and australia ended up winning uh 198 as uh you know some uh ugly fouls late by gobert and uh also just the shooting from australia was unbelievable 13 to 27 from downtown and mills uh, was the major guy and i think the biggest thing too is that you know they just have counters for everything that off-ball movement from mills france tried changing up their pick and roll strategy to force it towards the baseline at the start of the third quarter that got completely eaten up as well mills i was seven of ten from two-point range their shot chart is just all threes and layups i mean and uh also helps when aaron baines goes five out of six uh, from downtown um but yeah i mean i think mills is up there bogdanovich has been awesome too i mean he's been shooting the lights out uh for serbia uh anyone else that has just really stood out as having a great tournament that we haven't mentioned yet um i think we mentioned these guys when you know we were talking about who's been impressive i think those three guys are probably in the running right now for uh best player in the tournament obviously these teams are knocked out before the final and let's say spain makes it there and the u.s makes it there then i assume it's going to be from one of those teams but it's like um um, how Kyrie Irving in the last World Cup kind of stole the MVP from uh, or in, in his last two games in the final, especially. So even though we're we're five games into the tournament, it doesn't mean, you know, Mills or Bogdanovich is necessarily or Sadoransky is necessarily the favorite to to win. Somebody can definitely step up from, you know, outside of these three guys uh, because what single games matter so much. But right now I have Mills one. I'm probably Sadoransky too, Bogdanovich three, but but that's only five games in. Yeah, and you know Czech Republic probably going to lose the yeah, next exactly. round, you would think. So so that'll change things. And 
Kemba Walker, I mean, he's only been playing, you know, U.S. hasn't been playing anybody more than 25 minutes a game. He's playing 24. He was sick today, but, you know, they still handled Brazil pretty comfortably anyway. But certainly you could see him at, when the going really gets tough for the U.S., that we could see just a, a lot of the ball in Kemba Walker's hands and him playing over 30 minutes a game uh, in some of these metal round games. And, and that could be uh, the ticket for him because, you know, he has been really outstanding in this tournament. Just uh, they haven't needed him quite as much yet other than uh, in the Turkey game. So let's uh, let's preview the quarterfinals here. USA against France. Uh, what are you looking for in that game? Um, I think France can be disrupted defensively uh, against the U.S. And I think that's probably going to be the deciding factor of the game is how well the U.S. can run its offense against uh, this French defense. Uh, as I said previously, how well they can make uh, Rudy Gobert move and uh, force him into situations he's not used to. Then I feel like the U.S. Is, can probably be a pretty clear favorite. Uh but at the same time, if they're they don't do it as well as Australia or, or even Lithuania uh, did, so so if they're not able to do that, I think this game has actually out of the four quarter quarterfinals is probably the most uh, likely upset in terms of France beating the U.S. I still have the U.S. winning, but I, I feel like the other other three quarterfinals are uh, more certain to end in a uh, pretty convincing result for the other team. Yeah, so I certainly agree with you. I think you know Gobert. They largely have. Played played him back against the pick and roll they against australia they started moving him out on the floor more and he really was not that effective joe ingles uh was beating him up pretty good he committed a, a couple of those bad fouls that got beat to the rim so that'll be interesting whether he can stay out of foul trouble as well you know, kemba walker donovan mitchell those guys are going to look to shoot the three off the pick and roll that that'll be huge and then the small lineup i think the u.s should be able to go to the small lineup gobert is not a huge post-up threat i also want to see if you know we mentioned how 48 39 usage decolo who's been coming off the bench but still playing a ton of minutes uh over 30 percent usage if the u.s can get into those guys force other guys to beat them i think that will be uh, very interesting uh, as well you know, to really make someone else uh, on France, you know, maybe it's Batum. Who I don't know if Batum is capable of having the type of big games he's had in FIBA in the past. Um, and this is a pretty good French team. They could easily pull the upset. And I think France probably has guys who are playing at a little bit higher of a level than in 2016. They almost beat the U.S. Uh, back in 2016. And not having Tony Parker and Dia, I think, actually has helped their offense uh, a lot. So, uh, yeah, that's that's going to be uh, – I'm going to be uh, tightening the sphincter a little bit here mm-hmm. as a U.S. basketball fan mm-hmm. uh, in this game. Uh, and uh, especially if you see France get out to an early lead. Uh, we could see uh the u.s in difficulty i still think chris middleton is just a huge player for the u.s uh to really get going bomb some threes uh and uh maybe give him a little more isolation scoring i do think the u.s could struggle to score against exactly and uh, i think you touched on a really important point because uh, kind of what i said in terms of you know being able to create that movement and with donovan mitchell and kimball walker especially how well uh, they can play but at the same time What's really important is to make sure for, uh, Fournier and, and Nicolo are t- being taken care of. And for that, you probably need Derek White a little bit more. But at the same time, he's not going to bring, yeah. especially the half-court offense, as much as Donovan Mitchell and, and Kemba Walker are. So the way Pop balances that 
entirety will be very interesting because I feel like if uh, there are any stretches where, especially Fournier is out, I think that's the time where the U.S. has to be has to have a lineup where they are extremely extremely deadly offensively, and maybe when he's on the floor is the minutes where you really want to have White or or Mark, maybe Marcus Smart on him. Uh, but but we'll see. I think there are a lot of interesting you know kind of matchup. Uh, chess moves that pop and and uh, can play another thing i'm going to be watching too and i think the u.s has done a pretty good job in terms of the scouting report uh france has some holes you know, neil akina has not looked comfortable shooting the three you know he's out there mostly for defense he's starting uh albisi again is is going to be probably too small to go against the the their other small point guard uh, a guy I saw it at the euro camp like seven years ago it's interesting actually seeing him in, in fiba I'd, I'd kind of forgot about him uh and, and then the fours for france you know, are not amazing either i mean they really they've got four really good guys in gobert batum decolo and fournier but the rest of those guys you know those are the guys that I'm saying the U.S. might really want to make beat them uh, offensively in particular because it, for this France team does have some holes um, compared maybe to the to passers. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Where do you want to go next in terms of these uh, quarterfinals? Uh, why don't we stay in uh, the USA side of, side of the bracket? So uh, Serbia and Poland. Uh, sorry, Serbia, Argentina. Excuse yeah. me. Serbia, Argentina. Uh, uh, I think that's probably going to be kind of the toughest to see how Argentina can yeah. match up because as you said Argentina hasn't played anybody uh in this tournament yeah. I, I mean in this team Argentina other than Campazzo just has no athleticism yeah. at all at this point I mean and that's that's where Serbia to me is vulnerable but they're going to be the more athletic uh, of the two teams so yeah I, I feel uh, yeah, I hard. feel like this even though Argentina is traditionally a good team this this can go ugly pretty quickly and Serbia yeah. uh the fact that Argentina isn't that quick they're not as, as athletic and Luis Gola is probably Probably their uh, best weapon overall. Uh, when you throw uh, Jokic and uh, and Radulica and Boban and and even Milutinov against him uh, in terms of their offense versus Luis Wall, I think Argentina is going to have a really really tough time. And the way kind of Serbia beat Italy and. You know, who really gave them a challenge with Bellinari and Bellinelli was that the, for 40 minutes they were just so physical that at the end Italy had just zero gas left. And I feel like the exact same thing is going to happen here. Even if Argentina hits tough shots with Campazzo and maybe Luis Cola hits hits a, a few tough shots and they kind of hang around that the further along the game goes and it kind of gets ugly, is that Argentina is just going to completely run out of gas against against this matchup. This should be a pretty comfortable win for Serbia. Yeah, and foul trouble yeah, for for, for Scola. Sure as well could, could be an issue so uh I, I agree with you there serbia u.s yes. and that would to me you know if we'll, we'll make the assumption that the u.s can get by france so don't worry i'm not taking hmm. that as uh you know 100 percent by any no, but i agree with i think you. you know even even at this point i mean u.s has probably you know, the hardest road of any team that uh to get through you know what's probably going to be the three toughest teams in the tournament in the quarterfinals with france serbia and then probably australia in the final assuming they don't get upset um you know that to me are the three other best teams so that's a that's a pretty tough road uh so i mean i i wouldn't say you know to me i'd say the u.s is you know 50 percent at best to win the tournament right now uh but how did they match up uh usa and serbia beyond what we've hit on just a little bit already so i think player wise we kind of hit it that 
uh, it's going to be interesting how much the U.S. can go into a small lineup and even how much like Brook Lopez can uh, hang with Jokic and, and Boban. Even Radulica, who is just a beast as an offensive post player. Obviously, he doesn't have the, the yeah. legs to stay. I, I'm worried about the defensive glass for yeah. the U.S., which you like like most pop teams, they have 81% defensive rebounds so far in the tournament. That's great. But I do think Miles Turner can struggle there and Serbia, if they go with the two bigs, could, could make uh, a lot of hay on the offensive glass i mean it's kind of just been more i think the shots that usa is forcing that's enabling them to get the defensive boards rather than having like great defensive rebounding talent or anything like that yeah but they do have length and when you kind of add length all yeah. over the court uh, you know positions one through three i think that like those longer loose balls which are usually the ones that become offensive rebounds like the u.s is a good off a good shot of getting those uh those balls the ball. yeah, that's a good point yeah so bounce bounce away from the rim but in terms of you know one on one matchups, like you said, there are definitely issues where if the ball bounces close to the rim, where Jokic or Boban or or Radulica can kind of overpower maybe the U.S. U.S. big guys. But I think uh, when the U.S. has definitely watched Spain, Serbia, and how Serbia were all of a sudden so vulnerable against uh, player movement and ball movement and shooting, and U.S. can throw that line up in there as well. And uh, usually, like against Italy, Serbia was still able to kind of make it a half-court game, even though it, it, the Italians hit crazy shots. Uh, but they just wore them out. But it, but against Spain, they they were like unable to make it a uh, like a fist fight, like a power basketball game where there was a lot of body contact. Spain was just too slippery uh, throughout the game. And if the U.S. can play that way. Uh, I actually feel like the U.S. is also a very, very tough matchup for Serbia because before the tournament, I was almost certain that, you know, actually Serbia might have the best team on paper as well. I'm no longer as sure when when I saw how mightily uh, Serbia struggled against uh, player movement and spacing and the way how Spain was able to take advantage of that. Yeah. Now, worth noting, Serbia, I think, was three out of 17 and Spain was nine out of 20 on threes in that game. So that's, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say Spain is better than Serbia based uh, on that one. And obviously, Jokic only played. Yeah. And Jordovic did not play his best lineup. Well. He played Milutinov a ton of minutes. I, it almost feels like Serbia is playing the most European quote-unquote style where they kind of play everybody 20 minutes a game or or 18 minutes a game or or something like that and I, I mean I thought like it was one of those games where it seemed like they were almost like intentionally losing but yep. that doesn't make any sense because they gave themselves a much harder a much harder road by being on the U.S. side of the bracket yeah I, so but I, so exactly but I feel was, like, it was odd yeah but it, I think Djordovic is just that type of a coach where he really believes that the process yeah. is more important than the singular game and he's willing to to lose one game to get kind of the Serbians to understand that hey we're not unbeatable. Uh, I, I this is not a fact. This is just pure specul- speculation on my part. But that's the kind of coach he seemed like he is. And when you uh, have so so many big bodies that you do want to save for the important games, Jokic especially, uh, it's just a lot different for Kemba Walker to play 30 minutes a game in a short tournament than it is for Nikola Jokic, who weighs you know twice as much as Walker does. The wear and tear is just much much more for guys like that. And I think that's why Serbia has all these big bodies to begin with. That they're going to shorten the lineup and lineup a lot against the U.S. and it's going to be very interesting uh, to watch and, and see what, what choices Djordovic makes uh, with with those lineups because I don't think Milutinov is, is the guy to play significant minutes and he's the guy who's been starting uh, the entire tournament. Yeah, another guy where I think if the U.S. scouts it well and this is kind of more of an NBA approach of like, you know, we're just going to make certain guys beat us, 
uh that you know, th- that could be a weakness for serbia i do think the one thing that gives some hope to me for serbia is while the u.s has the athleticism advantage other than jalen braun on a couple of occasions uh you know against greece especially he's able to use uh, his size and strength and athleticism to kind of bull his way to the rim you know they don't have those guys that the u.s has had in the past which is their biggest advantage these huge wings who are also more athletic uh you know the u.s has guys like that but they're not their main scorers and so that's uh that to me gives a a little bit of hope for serbia to stop these guys in ways that they haven't uh, in the past and you know i would again favor the u.s in that game but you know i give serbia 35 40 percent chance uh, of winning it and maybe uh you know we'll see how the u.s comes out uh, against france they have improved as the tournament uh, has gone on let's assume that we get yeah hold on one one last one last thought for the u.s in terms of serbia i think the one guy that can really attack is obviously anytime milutinov is not on the floor by having pick and roll roll against radley char boban but especially if the other pick player in the pick and roll situation is stefan jovic who's he's a horrendous defender and if he's forced to guard kemba walker or donovan mitchell that that's that's a nightmare situation for for serbia because uh jovic has an ex he's the best player i've ever seen of getting hit by every single screen on the court that is being (laughs) set so uh that combination i think is going to be very very tough for serbia to you know overcome but yeah let's move forward yeah uh so other semifinal. let's assume that we get uh spain and australia what do you see there yeah i think we can safely assume those those are probably 95 to 5 percent about to uh for both of those situations to happen um that's another really interesting matchup because uh it's very different from what serbia threw out in terms of the australian team uh they execute so well they space the floor so well uh and if they force uh the spanish big guys into uncomfortable situations uh i think australia can be really good but at the same time australia does play a lot of a lot of its stuff with with two traditional bigs where uh for example in ball screen motion i think marcus all uh willie hernan gomez and and um and uh, uh, Pierre Oriola are, are kind of used to playing in those those situations. Uh, it, it might literally be one of those silly games where the team that just gets hot from three is the one that's gonna gonna win that that matchup. Um, I see it as a really really even game. Uh, I'm kind of hoping to see that Australia is able to execute and kind of finally uh, get him get, get itself to the to those medal rounds and, and those finals where I think they've deserved to be previously. But, but I think that's a complete toss up. I think that can go for either team. Yeah. I mean, I, I still, uh, the Australians I know are still smarting from that loss in the 2016 Olympics yep. uh, to Serbia. I know Andrew Bogut was, uh, you know, I talked to him about it a few months ago and he was still like pretty pissed mm-hmm. off that, that they lost that game because they had dominated really in that tournament, uh, up until then, uh, almost beat the U S and, and look just as good uh in that tournament as they will uh, or, or uh, as they have so far in this one but i i do think a lot of that's going to come down to is aaron bain's going to hit shots i'm sure uh philadelphia 76ers fans can uh, <laughs> can can uh know that feeling going back to the playoffs two years ago when baines was hitting every three against them but if marcus soul can be forced away from the basket by baines and he spaces the floor now you've got mills able to get to the basket the way he was in that game against france i think that's going to be huge you know i baines is not going to go five for six again but if he's can stretch gasol out a little bit gasol is one of these smart 
smartest guys that we've seen. I don't think we'll see as many breakdowns from Spain. They've got a lot of smart veterans and they've been playing together forever. You know, I don't think they're going to just give up back doors the way France was. And, you know, Australia is going to be hard pressed to shoot 50% from three. Um, but I also think that Spain is not that well equipped to take advantage of the Australian defense, which has been a little bit leaky. So I, I do favor Australia in that. I would like to see Australia go through, uh, after years of, of kind of you know, struggling to live up to, uh, some of their talent at the international level. But, uh, you know, Spain, I mean, we've been saying it for a couple of years now that they're going to, uh, fall into the second tier and you know it's gotten to the point where you can't believe it's going to happen until it actually does so i think they, they've got a, an excellent chance i in think that game there's too. one matchup uh in this game which significantly favors one team and i think that's joe angles i do not think that uh spain has any options to throw at angles who somebody who's you know big enough to kind of uh, stay with him when he gets that little advantage and he kind of tries to push off with, with his right shoulder from those handoffs and, and uh, dynamic ball screens that he likes to use with his left hand. Uh, I feel like probably Ricky Rubio is maybe the best option for him, but Rudy will not be able to stick with him. And I don't think uh, uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez will be, will be either. Uh, I think that's the one significant matchup edge that Spain does have. And I don't think Australia can, I, I, I'm sorry, I don't think Spain can match that on the other end in any particular matchup yeah and uh you know if it's usa against australia that's probably too far away yeah, to actually preview so that matchup necessarily uh you know we'll probably talk about that at some future mm-hmm. point here me, me and danny uh before and or maybe maybe after the tournament is over we'll, we'll kind of wrap things up um quick break here and then we'll uh talk a little bit about some of the the differences between uh FIBA play uh, and NBA that that we've noticed uh some of the controversy uh, that's happened in the tournament so having just gotten back from this trip I am more appreciative of Blinkist than ever Blinkist provides the key takeaways from thousands of non-fiction books I was so excited to find out this existed because I'd actually been actively wishing for it. I had been reading a lot of nonfiction and realized afterwards that how much am I actually taking away here? The reason you're reading nonfiction a lot of times is to try to get better, improve your life, learn stuff. Well, an entire book's worth of information, are you going to remember every single part of that? Probably not. You know, you might say, hey, if I was going to recite to you everything that I learned from this book, it might take me about 15 minutes. Well, that's what Blinkist is built on. Everything you need to know from these books is condensed down into 15 minutes you can read or listen to with the app. So whether you're in the car or you're hanging out at home, Blinkist works on your phone, tablet, web browser. You'll find everything from health and self-help titles to history and business books included in Blinkist's library. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to their massive library of condensed nonfiction books. Whether it's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is a, a classic Emotional Intelligence, which uh, was a transformative book for me. It turns out I was rather lacking on that front uh, in my 20s. But it was a transformative book uh, for me. I actually recently read the Blinkist summary of that for the first time in years. The Power of Habits by Charles Duhigg. Ten Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than You Think. That's another one uh, that I enjoyed. The way to get started with them is at Blinkist.com slash Capspace. You can get a free seven-day trial. Blinkist.com slash Capspace. And don't forget that slash Capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. So one thing that you wanted to talk about to me is we've seen a couple of games in this tournament get decided by the ball getting tipped off the rim, although illegally because you're not allowed to actually touch the rim at itself when you're doing that um 
certainly there is a, a a very interesting rant by Lithuania's coach after they uh you know should have taken the lead when Gobert tipped the ball off the rim uh, on a missed free throw. Has the refereeing been that bad in this tournament? And you know, do you think that that's a rule that needs to be changed in FIBA, the tipping the ball off the rim, or do you like it so? Obviously, you've grown up with it uh, on your true. So uh, there's kind of two points and two questions you asked there. The, yes, the refereeing has been bad. And the reason is that same thing that we discussed previously about FIBA and the Euroleague battling. Uh, FIBA decided uh, a few years back that referees were not allowed to uh, officiate both Euroleague and FIBA games. And they thought that the referee... That, that's yeah, ridiculous. And they thought... What what else are they supposed to do? Like FIBA is like has like you know five times a year when they have games. Are they just supposed to sit on their hands? And they do have time? two European competitions. They have the FIBA Champions League and the FIBA Europe Cup, which are you know uh, second slash third level and then fourth European level competition in terms of you know tiers with the Euro League being top, and then it's either the Euro Cup or the Champions League that are kind of battling. I think more players want to play in the Euro Cup. That's what you know player agents are saying, and I think those teams are a little better, but that's absolutely ridiculous in my my view as well and they just thought that the referees would choose to uh, ref in the champions league and then in international competition because uh, referees want to you know whistle it at the olympics and at the world cup but they get paid more by the euro league and the euro league is better competition so they start they everybody went there and now they have you know second tier referees uh, or even third tier referees if if you want to calculate or also count that NBA refs were obviously not there either. And now you have, you know, these refs at the tournament and not only, you know, uh, in term or was the Lithu- Lithuania coach Adamitis uh, mad about the uh, slapping of the ball where it was a clear goaltender where Gobert just hit the rim uh, at the same time when he slapped the ball off the rim. Uh, but also uh, the game against Australia was really poorly officiated. It was overly uh, physical. Adamitis called it rugby. Well, that was maybe a little overboard, but it was it was overly physical and uh, it, it definitely benefited Australia uh, in that game. And Lithuania did get screwed. And I do feel like Lithuania is a top five team in this tournament and they're not in the quarterfinals, which which sucks for them, but but they really did get screwed royally by by the refs. Uh, in terms of the rule, yeah, yeah. Th- that game, that game, by the way, the uh, the Lithuania France game. I mean, if uh, I didn't see the Lithuania Australia mm-hmm. game, but the Lithuania France game was absolutely ridiculous in terms of how many calls were made. I mean, every time somebody tried to back down in the post, a foul yep. was called. They probably called you know seventy five percent of the calls were off ball calls, I and mean, it really was just I can cannot remember a game that had as little rhythm. And now uh, Lithuania got their fair share sure. of those calls a big part of the comeback that they made was they were going to the free throw line every single time and then france couldn't score you know france had a, a, like a 15 point lead uh in the second half so uh lithuania you know you whatever people complain about the refs and oh this one cause like all right you got to look at the totality of the game and i you know certainly their guys were in foul trouble they're more reliant on big guys uh, valentunas sabonis like those guys when they were out at the end of the second quarter is when they built their lead so i, I certainly understand the complaints there uh but overall it was just for a fan just an awfully referee game and FIBA announced that those referees weren't gonna work any more games uh in the tournament but that's uh that doesn't necessarily make anybody feel much better and certainly uh doesn't help these FIBA tournaments uh, reputation for having uh inconsistent referees yeah and the same thing happened in Serbia Italy uh fantastic game until uh 
the second quarter and the third quarter, which I think both of those quarters lasted for about 45 minutes, which is very uncommon for, <laughs> you know, FIBA, FIBA games. They were, they were, especially the third quarter seemed like the longest, longest I've seen in FIBA competition ever. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's been absolutely insane. And the other insane part is uh, the, the replay rule, which, you know, they brought instant replay last season, finally into FIBA competition. But for some reason, uh, they didn't copy NBA's uh, instant replay rules. And the NBA has been, you know, tweaking it and making it better year after year. So instead, you know, FIBA just starts from scratch. And, and uh, the replay rule in question is that uh, if there's no call uh, in a situation, they can't go back and review it. But if there's, you know, an enforcement-like yeah. file, they can go back and review it. If they call a goaltend, they can go back and review it. But they can't go back to review a, uh, something that was never called. So uh, even in the last two minutes, which is just silly, uh, obviously. Yeah, NBA suffers from that problem, too, to some extent. I mean, there was that controversy with... Uh the offensive rebound shot clock shouldn't have reset but there was no stoppage to actually uh review it uh in that philly boston series a, a couple of years ago and and goaltending it's only if you do call the goaltend and that leads to more goaltendings getting called so they can review it in the nba so we suffer from that problem a little bit uh as well but yeah i mean that that's that was a concern they had no way to review that play in particular and i think it's you know going back to the question just whether that should be goaltending or not i think where i've come down after thinking about it is i think offensive goaltending should be allowed and the defensive goaltending probably shouldn't be because it's just it's too, number one it's too hard to tell whether they hit mm-hmm. the rim or whether on uh on defense uh, or you know whether the ball's already in the cylinder or not to knock it off the rim it's also like really easy to do with the nba athletes if they really got into the into that you know, guy miles turner is doing a really good mm-hmm. job of that in this tournament for the u.s gobert so some of Come those guys home. um yeah yeah he, he's been good at it too uh but to me offensive goaltending i mean you're not hurting anything by being able to go up and get it like you should be boxing the guy out if you're on defense mm-hmm. and then offensive goaltending is you know this idea that oh i'm right there i could just dunk it down but oh i'm gonna not touch it now because it might be over the cylinder it might not be especially when you're going in uh on offense trying to tip that in it's really just impossible to tell where the ball is and whether you should touch it or not if you're really going in hard for a tip dunk so i don't know that's that's my theory uh, i think, think that's a really interesting i actually haven't my suggestion that uh and i've always you know come to the point of view that you know why is it legal or i'm now thinking thinking that probably the traditional sense is that why is it legal for the offensive player but not the defensive player that's not fair that makes defense even harder uh another thing that would happen probably is that these over the back calls have to be increased at that point because the defender can't jump yeah and the offensive player can just kind of go and and slap the ball and maybe sometimes he hits the rim too um in terms of you know being hard for it to tell whether it touches the rim or not i think there are probably sensors that you can put put in there where if there's you know flesh touching the rim it somehow you know signals the referee or, or whatever but that's not that's neither here or there that's i don't think that's important but i actually personally would like the rule in the nba as well just for the fact uh the meaning the fiba rule just for the fact that we would see more offensive rebounding in the league and yeah. that's something that you know has been uh has been missing uh or, or a big part of the game, which I feel, you know, has been dying out, uh, for, for, uh, 
for most of the uh, most of the league, there are obviously a lot of games or a lot of series, especially for example, OKC and Indiana are probably the best examples from the past ten years where they've clearly gotten an advantage off of offensive rebounding. But uh, I would want to see more offensive rebounding and rebounding in general uh, than I do right now because that actually increases to a certain extent the fast break opportunities and the guys aren't just running back and 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 from probably Popovich's point of view, point of view as well, it makes the game. Uh, have more levels in it instead of, you know, just creating an advantage and just passing the ball around for an open three or an open dunk uh, creates an extra wrinkle into the game. So that's kind of the reason why I would want to see it, but especially in meaningless uh, regular season games where you would have guys like, uh, or just, just these insanely athletic centers that the NBA is full of. Uh, We can, you know, start from Jared Allen and Deandre Jordan in Brooklyn just by themselves and, and, that would already, you know, look pretty ugly. But uh, in FIBA games, I do want to make one distinction. You can't do it when the game clock, clock has expired. So people who are saying that, you know, well, a Kawhi Leonard shot would have never happened. That's incorrect because the buzzer had sounded. You can't touch the ball anymore at that point. Then the basket counts. Uh, but oh, yeah, I but all, I would actually take it away from free throws. I think for free throws, the de- defender has such yeah. a clear inside position that it's just silly that I would take it away from free throws, but I would allow it in live ball play. Yeah, the free throws, yeah, and it's been those two that, that we've seen that were the controversial calls. Um, yeah, I think if I were, I would probably try to mm-hmm. study this, but especially if I had some athletic guys who could come in from the wing. You know, if you did some research and you're like, yeah, actually 10% of made field goals bounce around on the rim before they go in, especially on jump shots, I might just say, all right, we're going to assign one guy on the defense, his job is to run to the basket and jump at the same time the ball is going to hit the rim so if it bounces you can just knock it off and you could in theory you know depending on how many shots bounce around you could reduce your opponent's field goal percentage by you know like five percent or something just by having someone do that yeah you might be a little bit worse on the defensive glass if it bounces over his head but that's like you know that's that's extra extra wrinkle into that would you then assign uh somebody else to uh, like on the uh offensive team to go and box out a uh, defensive player about to go, you know, uh, get that rebound. Somebody who can't jump above the rim where you're like, <laughs> all right, your job is to box out Giannis every single time when he's going for a defensive rebound. Yeah, well, if you're, if you're boxing, if, if your offensive guy's boxing out, now you're not getting any offensive it's rebounds. It's true, but if you're, if you're short so, anyway and you're so, kind of close to the rim, but you're not going to you're not going to jump above the rim anyway, so why not have somebody just box out Giannis in those situations or something? I don't know. Probably wouldn't happen, but, but yeah. I, I think it's an interesting extra wrinkle which I have no issues with. But there yeah. are some other rules in FIBA play and NBA play where uh, I do feel like it's stupid that they don't have, or as well, where they don't have a consistent consistent line. Like, why should the rules for two different leagues be separate? It's one game of basketball, sit down, talk, and figure out the rules. And, and Or in FIBA's case, just copy the NBA is usually the correct response. Well, I like I like that uh, NCAA is pushing yeah. the three point line back to to FIBA. Would you? And, and I think certainly at the junior levels, as, as, you know, even if you're talking about like U16 level, 22 foot three point line is pretty darn far out. You know, and that you, that that especially for the youth levels, that's like, what it is in in Europe though. But maybe and, yeah. and they shoot three yeah. spine from yeah. that level, even with the big ball. And uh, and I don't think it's as big of an issue. It's probably uh, and then they you know if the saying it's far you can just make the ball smaller and lighter 
uh, to kind of make make the court yeah. at least you know regulation from the beginning. Uh, I don't think they in terms of youth levels, it's it's actually an issue. But the one rule which I hate that FIBA yeah. FIBA did create is that uh, if a team uh, gains possession. Uh, on the offensive side of the court, uh, you know, by the ball going out of bounds, uh, it's only 14 seconds on the shot clock. And same thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah and same thing. If you have 20 seconds left in the game, you call a timeout. Then the referee asks you, do you want into the front court with 14 seconds or in the back court with 24? I think that's just silly. Uh, I, I like the offensive rebound 14 seconds. I, I like that from the beginning. Uh, but this, this rule, I'm not a fan of. Um, would you be in favor of moving, at least at the senior level, moving the three-point line out to the NBA? Yes, length? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's a lot better than when it was 20 mm-hmm. feet, six inches, uh, for sure. But yeah, I think it, at the senior level, yes. I think what I was starting to say before at the youth levels, I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, I think 22 feet is, is already plenty sure. far enough for, for that. But yeah, at the senior yeah, level, I agree. That might I agree. be interesting. Uh, a couple, a couple other small notes that, that came to mind as I was watching. I think FIBA needs a first in the last two minutes yes. foul rule. Without a doubt. Without a there doubt. Was, uh, Absolutely. And, and it's, been, it's um, taken way too long for them to react. And uh, another thing, if the game goes into overtime, the fouls carry over from the fourth quarter in FIBA, whereas in the NBA you get new oh, fouls. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also stupid that the NBA you have four fouls to use in, the, in overtime. I think that should be reduced to like three. Uh, but the fact that they just carry yeah. over... Uh, is, is not good in my opinion uh and then the other thing i noticed you know people talk about fiba being way tougher on traveling i actually noticed like you know in the nba the last few years they've started calling it a travel if you don't land with both your feet at the mm-hmm. same time on a jump stop fiba is letting guys i mean i don't know what the rule is supposed to be but you can just have your feet land whenever you want yeah on so, a jump stop uh which i actually i think it's fine like i don't understand why in the nba it's like you have to have both feet land at the same time like why does that matter whereas as opposed to having one foot land and then the other like that it's still the same number of steps yeah though the one thing where FIBA is still much more uh like uh, or where they blow the whistle much easier is if you uh leave like if you jab step and then you your first dribble is with an open open foot or open step instead of you know a cross step they'll hold down a travel still every yeah. time which they don't in the nba it's actually still legal because you're starting your dribble motion before the ball actually leaves your hand where in FIBA the ball has to physically leave your fingertips so you really got to be quick about you know dropping the ball quickly if you're leaving with an open open step uh that's where they're really strict and uh that hop step uh, that that's something that FIBA as well is very very strict at, but I feel like the NBA has become much more strict with the hop step as well. Um, and but yeah, I agree. Uh, FIBA is much more lenient in those. Uh, is it a jump stop or is it one two stop? And and what do you do with your pivot foot after that? Uh, I actually prefer when if there are travel rules that you enforce them, but just make sure that you know what the rules are, where you're not like uh, having to <laughs> ha- having to like look up. Wait, are you allowed to do that or? you uh-huh. that, that's probably the, the big issue i'm big issue for me i'm not a big fan of the nba where uh what harden for example is very good at doing i have no issue actually with the gather step i i do complain about that a little bit but i think the bigger issue is what the gather actually is where you can kind of extend the gather and uh, you know not pick up the ball when you're going for example if you're bouncing the ball off the floor and you're kind of going to your layup steps you can take seven steps before you actually physically grab the ball yeah. and then take you know three steps after that, that that's <laughs> in my opinion stupid i think the gather should be enforced in a, in a different way than it currently is in both NBA and FIBA. 
uh, because the FIBA pretty much just copied that rule directly from the NBA, and I think that's sometimes a little silly. I I, I do want to see defensive defenses have a chance too. I do like open games and and guys hitting threes, guys dunking. That's that's very entertaining. But when it becomes too easy uh, and the defense has no chance to stop you, uh, that's also takes the glamour out of it a little bit. Yeah, it's just it's hard as a referee to know when the gather has occurred. A lot of times you don't, you know, you have the guy's body yep. between you. And the ball, you know, it's just, I, I think they, that evolved because it's just hard to say, yes, he has gathered. Now he's traveled. It's just, it's really, really hard to make that determination. I, I agree with you. I mean, you do see some plays that start to look, uh, start to look a little bit ridiculous. And that's, right, that's well, why I, you I also need four referees. For, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Then you wouldn't have those issues. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we don't have enough good referees <laughs> to put three on the floor, but uh, may, maybe we could do, try try training a little better. All right, man. Th- this was awesome. I really appreciate you, you coming on. Where can people uh, follow your work through the rest of the Thank world you, out here? Via Twitter, at Coach Pelotti, P-A-L-O-T-I-E. Uh, I'm tweeting only in English, uh, and usually it's about NBA or, or FIBA basketball. Sometimes I'll throw a little Euro league in there. Uh, but uh, go ahead and have a follow and, and – and either hate it or like it, I, I don't really mind. But but that's usually where where you can <laughs> where you can follow me. Views are my own and and not you know my channel or my or the team that I'm coaching. Well, and uh, you know, don't worry, nobody has ever taken issue with anything that's been said <laughs> exactly. on Twitter. So I'm sure you'll be. Fine. All right, thanks, man. Dave. Thanks again. At Bet three six five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.